it's great to have screening tools. And I think that screening tools have a phenomenal place and a very important place, but we can't just rely on them um, to rule people in or rule people out. There, it, it's a more nuanced approach, I, I, I feel like, um, that we need to take to these patients. So we're not just lumping them all in one category and moving them on. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Talking Heads. Um, I think Brent wasn't doing too well in the polls to be Batman, so he said he didn't want to play with us today. So you just got myself and Rob here. I <laughs> guess technically, technically Batman then, correct? Technically Batman. Okay, that's all I need. Technically correct is the, the worst kind of the best. I guess I'll go with Nightwing then. Okay, I like it. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. We can... We can uh, save money by sharing rent on the cave. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't Bruce Wayne like abs- just like destitute at one point? Or was that just a movie? I don't know. Like, in yeah. the comic books, I can't remember whether he was destitute or not. I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. Well, hey, guys, we got a great episode planned for you this week. Uh, we just want to sit down and go through some of the hot topics or hot, I guess, button items there that's been popping up when dealing with concussions, head injuries. We know there are a lot of new techniques, a lot of interesting, cool things and concepts that are coming to light. And I thought who better than our own Dr. Robert Batman Allen to guide us through these, um, these new, these new processes when you're looking at head injuries. So, um, I've heard a lot of talk and a lot of buzz around a, a lot of them, so I'm I'm interested to listen and learn as well. Should I get my coat updated? Just say Doctor Batman, or <laughs> that's between uh, yeah. you and the embroidery. That's I like it. I like it. Yeah, we got a lot of good. Uh, there's some cool. There is some cool technology out there, um, and just some a lot of different things because there are different stages where we can address a head injury, right? A, a concussion, specifically mild traumatic brain injury. Um, so we're going to kind of hopefully demystify a few of those different things for you today and talk about where do they fit into our puzzle, uh, where do they fit into our equation and where are we looking in the future a little bit as well as, as to what may be available to help us better manage and diagnose these patients. Okay. Uh, where do you want to start my friend? It's up to you. If you have anything in particular you want to start with, I'm going to kick it back to you. All right. Uh, so one thing I've heard about that I thought was pretty cool, but, um, I'm, I'm kind of leery of is there some technology out where you can use maybe blood markers to diagnose um, concussions, TBIs? Talk to me about that. How can you use blood to yeah. diagnose a TBI? So when we look at, uh, you know, when we look at different, different pathologies just in general, and, and it doesn't have to be necessarily a head injury, but you know, let's take cancer or, or whatever. We look for what we call biomarkers. So what are some signs? And this doesn't have to necessarily be blood. It can be a variety of different things, right? But what are some different signs that we see that are specific to that pathology or that that issue, right? Um, There's some pretty 
pretty interesting research that's coming out and hopefully some things on the market soon that are approved and cleared where we can look at specific uh, biomarkers in our blood, you know, some, some different things like proteins in the blood that are associated with uh, a traumatic brain injury or concussion. Um, there's been a lot of work done obviously by the, the, uh, military on this because there's some very quick blood draws that can be done in the battlefield. Um, or even, you know, for the example, with an athlete on, on the sideline to check specifically for these things, right? Yeah. So we can have, we have some good, hard, some good, hard data to take a look at with that. Unfortunately for the general public, where we, where, where it starts to get difficult is that those tests aren't readily available to us. You know, EMTs aren't running around with these specific tests in, in, in the ambulance right there. You know, we don't have that with our first responders. Um, they're not necessarily cleared by the FDA yet. I think that's definitely on the horizon and sooner rather than later. But again, some people are going to go in and they're going to get, you know, are, are they going to have this test performed? Um, and then on the other side of things, are people even going into the facility, right? Are they going to go see a, a, an ER doc or go to the ER urgent care um, right after an accident. So while there's some neat stuff on the horizon, I think it's going to become more and more popular and we'll see more of it. The general public may still not have access to it just because of how a lot of these things happen, right? You get bumped, you slip, you fall, you know, whatever it is, you, motor vehicle accident, whatever happens, you just don't end up going to the hospital that day or a couple of days down the road. And then by the time you're going in to see someone, you're not going to the ER where it's available for you. And Hey, who knows? Maybe some of these biomarkers have changed in your blood. They're not even there anymore. So it's cool, but it's still kind of restrictions, not the right word, but there's certain cases that we can use it in and others that don't fit that profile. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. <clears throat> yeah, I read about that and I was kind of curious about it. Um, I know one thing we use here in the concussion center that seems to be going over really well and all the attorneys like the cooler report that comes with it is the neurotracks. Um, what kind of guided you toward the neural tracks as opposed to some of the other um, like-minded technologies that are out there? Yeah. Um, so I worked with our, our neurology team on this to, to find the appropriate device. And I think what this, where, where kind of the distinction comes from with, with the neurotracks and, and the diagnostics we do here is we're not looking, again, we're not looking necessarily at structure, right? A lot what we're looking at here is functional impact. And a blood test is never going to give us functional impact, right? You know, the person could have a blood test that could say concussion, but what does that mean in terms of, are they having memory trouble? Are they dizzy? Are they having headaches, seizures, whatever it may be that are associated with it? So again, that's, that's kind of just a, uh, a tool to help with our diagnosis. The Neurotrax is a great piece of equipment um, because it is, it's, it's very well known. It's very well researched and it is it, able to cover pretty much all of the modalities that we look at when it comes to cognitive function. So things like attention, processing, um, memory, you know, all of those different things that, that, that are, are part of our kind of whole cognitive function, neuro, the Neurotrax system can uh, evaluate. Mm -hmm. That gives us an idea of where is that person currently as, a, and then where can we get them with, with therapies, right? Uh, the cool thing about the Neurotrax is we don't have to have it baselined prior to the accident. So I don't have to just go do a neurotrax and every single person that walks around Atlanta. And then if they've had an accident, then we can redo one. No, we can actually compare, you know, that the person specific data 
to other individuals in that range. Okay. And that's how we can get our idea of what is their cognitive function. So when you say baseline, you mean um, someone having a test done on the same system when they're quote unquote normal. Exactly. Any trauma or anything is, is present inside. Yeah. A great, okay. a great example is, uh, you know, during, during for sports, okay. Every year for, for a lot of high school, college and, and, and <clears throat> pro teams, they'll do some of this testing at the beginning of the season to get what we call a baseline or you mm-hmm. haven't been injured, you're normal walking in today. Then they can compare that following an injury and see where the person is. We don't necessarily need that with neuro tracks. Gotcha. All right, cool. Um, so you, you mentioned some, I guess, differences or some, some limitations um, earlier when we were talking about the um, blood. Um, and I know there's a couple other technologies that have specific um, ideal circumstances for them to be used. Um, how did those type of technologies, um, I guess, start being used in the normal realm of personal injuries, slip and falls, that kind of thing? Um, you know, uh, I guess, sorry, you asked how, how did they start being used or how have they, how are they currently being utilized? Both. Okay. I, I to be honest with you, I, I don't quite know how they started being used. I don't know if that's something that somebody had, um, and, and initially and was able to bring that out or, or not where we see it right now is that people are using it kind of as, uh, some of these different, different things as screening tools, mm-hmm. um, and again, I think it boils down to, is that tool valid at the time the patient's coming in to see a provider? Um, a lot of these things are going to have a very short window of time that it's cleared for, right? Mm-hmm. That the research indicates it's going to show anything uh, that's, that's valid and, and could be used in a trial. So, um, you know, that's, that's where I think people can get a little bit uh can, can kind of get a little bit turned around, a little bit confused with it because it's not necessarily going to be able to do what we think it can, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, if something's got a 72 hour window, right? Mm-hmm. If it's done outside that 72 hour window, technically it's not valid. Right. Um, and something we've seen a little bit of is, is called the brain scope. It's a very cool tool. It's a very cool piece of equipment um, that, that, can be used, but again, it's got that 72 hour window, right? As of right now, it's gotta be within 72 hours for it to be a valid score on that. Outside of that range, you know, then, then those results aren't necessarily valid anymore. Um, and is that going to impact the patient and their care? Uh, and then is it also from the other side, if, if, it's, a, if it's in litigation, is that gonna be a result that is deemed you know valid for for a trial right um and and we've seen we've seen it some where where those kind of things are actually getting uh you know they're getting thrown out as evidence because they're they are not valid um they're not valid so again it's it's why it's important i think that um we we look at all aspects and we have the ability to evaluate functional impairment where it is the day the person's walking in the door you know, we're able to, we're able to look at it from that perspective um, because it's great to have screening tools. And I think that screening tools have a phenomenal place and a very important place, but we can't just rely on them um, to rule people in or rule people out. 
there it, it's a more nuanced approach i i, I feel like um, that we need to take to these patients so we're not just lumping them all in one category and moving them on gotcha gotcha now another cool piece of equipment i've seen here in the center is the dcat um mm -hmm. So walk everyone through what the DCAT is, what it does, and the implications of it. Yeah, the DCAT is a, uh, what it is, it's a cognitive test that is looking specifically at driving ability. So how, how, how is your cognitive function working as it relates to your ability to drive? Um, it uses a special system, and we are able to look, again, memory, processing, attention, fine motor skills, reaction times. And it can tell us, is this person at risk of causing an on-road incident when they're driving? Or if they are, you know, if they're, they're stopped, would they, would they not pass a, 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 a test in the field to be able to continue driving? Um, the nice thing about that tool is that we can use that to evaluate where someone is, again, currently, and then we can help them uh, through a variety of different means. We can help um, hopefully get them to a point where their, their memory is better, their cognitive function is better, and they can hopefully get back behind the wheel and drive safely. Um, we are looking, actually right now, we're in the process of putting together a driving restoration uh, program. And, and what that would, would be is for the patients that do show us error on the DCAT and they cannot, you know, they, we, we think it would be dangerous for them to drive. After therapies, can we then get them back behind the wheel safely uh, so that they can drive safely, right? And they'd have evaluations done, uh, you know, uh, through something like Taggart's Driving School, for example. Um, you know, th th I'm sure we all had to go through that. We're learning how to drive. So something similar, is there a way that we can help get these people back on the road if, they're, if they are safe to be on the road? Gotcha. Okay. So now question, being that Brent didn't want to play with us today, if he gave you a blank check. What's one piece of technology you would immediately run to grab to put into the center here? You know, I, off the top of my head right now, I think the biggest thing that we could do is, um, and hopefully we, we will be looking at doing this, is actually having a, uh, the ability to simulate different driving environments for people. Um, you know, almost like a virtual reality or augmented reality experience um, and set up a system so we can look at them, look at their ability to drive, test them, and then and have a have a better idea uh, of, of, of is this someone we could get back on the road. Nice. Yeah, and I, it can also help too because we have the patients that you know have anxiety following the crash. Uh, potentially, that could be a way to safely get them back in a car and and help work on that those anxiety issues, uh, any phobias that they have too. Gotcha. Cool. And we can also switch out the CD and make it a golf simulator on the weekends. You absolutely, you know it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What else um, did you want to cover as far as technology in the space of head injuries? Um, you know, at this point, uh, I, I think there's a lot of really, really cool stuff on the horizon. Um, DTI is an imaging technique that's thrown around a lot. Advanced DTI. Really, again, very, very neat a lot of research for us to do still a uh, lot of learning that we have to do and, and, and getting it to a point where we can reliably use it. I think it can be used in, in cases. Um, I think it can be used for patients, but we still are on the cusp of truly understanding what it is, how it works 
and how we can apply it to patients' issues. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, they're also doing a ton of work just on actual rehabs. Like, what can we do? Are there any kind of things that happen immediately following a, a traumatic brain injury from a medication standpoint? From um, are, are there ways that we can try and save tissue, promote better blood flow? So I think hopefully over the next you know, 10, 20, 30 years, we're going to see some huge advances in that area. And we can not only help people with TBIs, but maybe even look at kind of reversing some of that damage or, or, or being able to help manage that damage from a, a, a medic, medical standpoint, medication standpoint. Cool. Yeah. Well, hey, I appreciate you sitting down um, and walking us through those technologies and the benefits of them, the uses of them and the application. So um, I know it was something that I had been looking at. So I kind of figured that we had some listeners who would be interested in it as well. So I hope you guys learned Um, any questions you have about technologies, please feel free to um, put them on our Instagram at the concussion center or email them to us or DM us or um, go to our website at concussionctr.com. And um, Dr. Allen will be happy to answer those. As you see, he loves sitting in front of his window. So we may just start having him do some quick 30 second videos and throwing them up on Instagram for you guys. You know, I had a hawk land on the tree next to right here yesterday. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I asked him why I asked him why Trey Young didn't shoot too on that last game, but he didn't know. <laughs> well, he was in the right place because if the window's clean and he crashes into it, he's got a head No, he knew what was going on. He knew what was going on. Yeah, he's got a head injury specialist that can run outside and take care of it. I actually, with uh, with the way it's been going lately, I believe that would have been a falcon that crashed into my window. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, just remember to duck and get out of the way. No, I like it. <laughs> oh, God. Bird puns? Seriously? All right. Oh, goodness. All right, man. I will talk to you again. Thanks, everybody. It's been good. All right, guys, appreciate you tuning in for this episode of Talking Heads. We will be talking with you again soon. All right, bye. Bye.